Welcome. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a podcast constructed to enrich our tech community by connecting some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I am Christopher Asbridge, and I help connect businesses with talented freelancers, and I will be your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Marie um, from VP and Head of Branding at Asa Bloy. Victor, um, lead product owner at EchoBank, and Tilden, uh, senior product manager at Zettel by PayPal. Um, we're here to discuss anything product, Mark too. I'm pretty excited for this one. So before we delve into our topics, um, let's work our way around our room and do some introductions. Um, Marie, can you go first? Yes, uh, thank you so much, Christoph. Um, um, thank you for having me. I think it's a super interesting topic and uh, Asset. Um, today I work with with uh, branding mainly at Asaploy. I've been there for for seven years now, uh, and leading the branding uh, function for the Asaploy Group. Uh, but I have also worked quite many years as a product product manager with product development. So this is a really interesting topic from from that point of view uh, for me to discuss as well. And and I think uh, interesting to here uh, from Victor and Tene as well, because uh, you are working kind of very uh, software-based products, and I come from industry where I have worked with a lot of with hardware products, so that would be super interesting. But sort about myself, I, I said I work with Asaploy, um, that is basically uh, uh, the global leader in access solution, meaning locks and, and uh, digital access uh, products. So anything from passports to smart locks and, and similar products and uh, uh, working with uh, with branding and, and marketing. And before uh, my current role, I, I used to work with specifically Yale brand. Uh, that is another global brand that we have in the group. Uh, and there both with product development of the smart locks, uh, but also with business development. So we did, for example, a global platform for uh, app for the Yale smart locks that can be used anywhere in the world today. Um, and um, into this business I came before that from Electrolux, uh, where I was leading also product development for a certain category called food preparation, which is stick mixers and blenders and and kitchen machines um, and there we did anything from everything from uh, customer insights to concept development and then product design and actually planning on on uh, then the production and, and packaging and marketing and branding as well so that's a little bit about my background into this topic so super happy to be here today Oh, fantastic. Thanks so much for the introduction. Uh, I know that's one of the main reasons why I brought you on. You have such an interesting background from hardware, software. So it's like, always nice to get that sort of import within the, within the podcast. Um, so thanks so much for jumping on. Um, right, let's move around the table. Uh, Victor, we'll come to you next. Yes, great. Thanks, thanks for the invitation. And uh, I'm super happy to be here with all of you guys today. Um, well, a, a little bit about myself. Um, yeah, my name is Victor. Uh, I work as a lead product owner at Ikana Bank uh, and I have been in Sweden for around five years. Uh, I came back in 2017 to study my master's. Uh, then I moved to Stockholm where I work for a market research company uh, in a software product. 
then I moved back to South Sweden uh, in Malmo, uh, where I have been working for the past three years um, within the banking industry. Before that, before coming to Sweden, I, I, I was in Peru. I'm originally from Peru, uh, which is where I started my career back in 2012 um, as a software developer. And, and then little by little, I shifted more towards uh, systems analysis, business analysis, uh, as well as product ownership and uh, agile software development. Um, yeah, it, it was good that I was working in a small company most of the time that I was in Peru. Uh, and then you have uh, a lot of things to do there. You can wear multiple hats when you're in a small company, which gave me the opportunity to be part of yeah, different projects, work with many experts and so on. Um, back then I was also with, uh, working with the banking industry. So it's where I have most of my experience, I would say. Um, I also spent some time in working in Brazil and in the States, uh, but that was like for a short period of time, not too long as Sweden. Um, that's basically it. And then when it comes to myself, I, I love playing football. Um, I like dancing salsa as a good Latino. Uh, <laughs> I love to travel as well. I really like the concept of work and travel, which now nowadays it's easier to do. Um, it's very difficult for me to see myself working in a company where you have to be Monday to Friday on site. I don't think I would be able to do that again. Um, and last, I, I, I consider myself as a nerd. I, I love to study different kind of things uh, about different topics, not only product, but psychology, biology, you name it. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much uh, for the introduction, Victor. I had no idea you moved from Peru to Brazil, around the US, now Sweden. So nice nice bit of the world map you took took out there. Um, fabulous to have you here. Um, right, last but not least, Tilden, do you mind introducing yourself, please? Sure. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Um, backstory for me is um, originally from South Africa. I um, actually was a chemical engineer for, for a few weeks, I would say. I, um, I had quickly changed careers after chemical engineering because like the oil price crashed and there was no programs left for anyone in like that space. And I think oil and gas was more just chemical engineering was just a space. Didn't make sense for my personality. I eventually found myself working for a tech company in Cape Town, uh, working with payments, um, working with small businesses and providing banking solutions for small businesses. So basically just card machines, analytics, and that kind of thing for like the South African market. And I sort of weaseled my way from the one role into like a data role, which was never really why I was hired, but I was just so curious about the data. I really wanted to like get into it. That team was gracious enough to let me do that. And I didn't, this role at Zedong in Sweden popped up, um, you know, on my LinkedIn one day and then I applied and I got in. So I, Packed up everything and I moved to Stockholm by myself. It was an easy decision, you know, without pets, without like too many assets and things tying me down. I just hopped over. Um, yeah, I was an analyst for quite a while, worked on a couple of like internal projects. Like we built an internal data catalog and I helped run the year in review projects, which really were super like product management, product ownership, like 
centric, you know, and I realized that this is definitely more something I'm interested in, in doing. And I kind of transitioned recently into a PM role now. So it's, it's new for me. Um, it's not something that I've done for decades. Um, so I'm also super keen to like learn from everyone on the call. Uh, yeah. And I guess that's how I got to this. And yeah, of course, then I Chris, you messaged me on LinkedIn. So here we are. Awesome. Yeah. Your profile definitely stood out where it was like data science, chemical engineer. I was like, wow, what's this guy doing? <laughs> I need to know more about yeah, this. Yeah. Definitely an interest, <laughs> interesting input into what we were about to speak about. So fantastic. Now we've got uh, established the context of each other. And um, let's move forward and talk about the, the topic, which is anything products. Um, I know mm. each of you have a product background. Um, and you've all came with me with a particular question. Um, so, Mary, we'll start with you. Now, the question you posed um, is quite interesting to see where, where this is going to go. Um, so, you said, um, things being as is, having more and more areas to cover, skills to touch points to consider, and quicker changing market conditions. How does one build a successful roadmap and keep a clear vision? And what framework time frame is feasible for future plans developments? Now, can you just elaborate a little bit more for me, please? Yeah, sure. And I, I, I think this is also kind of revealing some of my more hardware development background because I know that there is a lot of kind of agile ways to development of software side, but I think this is one of the interesting um, points that I think. Um, uh, we have been discussing a lot as well, because if you have especially this hardware development side that maybe have traditional ways of developing, of course, those are are chasing as well. But then you have this this new side that you guys basically are working with that is more software based and that is is by nature totally different ways, totally different ways of investing and developing. And you don't kind of have a project start and stop. Uh, so that is kind of uh, one question that we have been battling also from branding point of view in a matter of like what do you market at the end because you could say that what is the product if traditionally if you talk about branding and marketing you can you have been marketing a product that is here and now and, and so on but when you, when it's something that is is more kind of software or app or, or service that you sell with all of these touch points um, how do you kind of combine this into roadmaps and generation plans and and uh, and what is the time frame that is feasible to to look into in the future? I think uh, is quite quite interesting, and I think probably you have a lot of uh, insights from from your point of view in in this question. Um, and I think the biggest question is if this is is a question <laughs> from from your point of sight and how do you what is your philosophy in this area what are the cycles you are looking into and how do you how do you build that in your roles you want to go first still there no or you go for it um yeah yeah sure sure um well i i would say that at least from my point of view uh it's not it's not like black or white and how you build roadmaps uh, it depends a lot in, in the kind of organization that you work with, as you rightly mentioned. Um, but, but I would say, for example, from my current organization point of view, I, I would say that it makes sense to have three different roadmaps 
uh, one long-term roadmap, like looking at a three years time frame, then another mid-term roadmap, perhaps around a year, and then a short-term short -term roadmap between three to six months. Um, where you where you acknowledge that the the long term roadmap um, is something that can change depending on the market conditions, depending on the customer needs changing. Uh, many things can happen, like what we had few like just two three years ago with the pandemic, where we had to adapt quite quickly. So probably many of the roadmaps back then had to shift uh, towards a different direction. Um, also think it's yeah it's it's very important that what once you have these roadmaps uh you share those ones with the product and the development teams so that they have that in mind once they start designing the products that they're going to be developing uh, so that for example if, if they start to to work with the short term roadmap but then they 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 have in their mind that oh in a year or in two years we're also planning to build this then they will be able to uh, yeah, to, to have more ideas on what would be the best way to build, uh, what they're building, have in mind what's coming next. Um, but I, I would say, in summary, I would say just, I would personally prefer three roadmaps, the long-term, mid-term, and a short-term, uh, having in mind that the, the longer the time frame, the more likely it is to change, and that we should not take it as something that is fixed in the stone. Can I could I just ask a follow up question? How does it work for some a company like yours, which is as you said, hardware, you know, wholesale building materials? If I look online, trying to translate to like a software where it's like super quick, you know, things can change in a week, and we can you know push out a change um, within a few days. Yeah, I can't even imagine how different it is. Like on a roadmap, it's more like a project a project management thing where it's like your timelines are. Six months where mine could be three i mean like three days or like five like five days exactly exactly maybe it's there that's what i'm saying maybe this question is not this is a bit strange maybe but yeah that, that i think this the challenge like we could have this more kind of hardware project ongoing that goes over years and of course those are like big tankers that are harder to turn um and of course i mean as i said uh, victor i think you Probably and, and in many times you have different roadmaps on different part of the product or the offer, the total product. If you have some soft, software side, if you have services, and then you have the hardware. So that's kind of what you do. And of course, you, you I would say exactly as Victor say as well. You need to be have that agility to then react. Of course, the cost of reacting is is uh, sometimes bigger <laughs> if it's a big changes you need to consider. But I think maybe there what you point out till this as well, that um, that maybe in those cases the you need to see longer into the future, like because the project times are that that long, uh, let's say five years and in general three years, you actually need to see so you can um, you can have some kind of direction in that different ways. But I think what, what I would like to hear you from you, especially on that, is also because I think you are probably impacted a lot by partnership as well, because the car customers, I guess, I mean, you, you serve a lot of different kind of big companies with your your small and big ones. And I think a lot of requests, I guess, come from from outside also to your products and in 
very, let's say, uh, detailed way. And of course, for us as well, I mean, all the companies, but I think yeah. probably more from the software and like Iceland and similar. How do you cope with that aspect of, of development? With, with like changes coming in from external yeah. stakeholders, for example. Yeah. yeah. Or the inside. Um, I mean, you kind of have to just, you you hear them out you know you have to hear out these individual stakeholders and and then you and you you add it to your to your kitty and you say to yourself like is this something that will have an impact on my team's okrs will this have an impact on what would, would this slow us down from actually reaching our goals and if it does then unfortunately it might not happen yeah. you know, sometimes you just got to say no and we will add it to to the roadmap but it's not going to affect the next six months unfortunately um, but that's the motivation. How how did you motivate it to the team? And then we have to sit together and, and, and sort of decide um, how we're going to redevelop our, our time. Mm. Um, I'm curious, though, like, what's your sort of timeline? Like, if you were to plan your next project, like, what's your timeline now? Because five years for me is never, is never, we're never having that discussion. <laughs> five <laughs> years from now is not going to happen. Even three years is too far. Like, we don't even think that far. We might think at maybe one year max. And just six months is kind of a comfortable space for us to be like the next six months we're feeling like we might know what we want the next year potentially but anything beyond that is a no we don't think beyond that um at the moment at least the, but the broader paper on borders that of course does but for my team we don't think beyond um yeah um you know at a 12-month period so what's your sort of like current roadmap do you have like a five-year plan yeah um oh it was some some years ago i was working with the product management that there might be some assessment and now I'm talking in a broad level kind of whether it was Electlux or, or Boston Samus or at Asaploy or with Yale but say that on the hardware side you I mean I said project take from one to three to five years to develop depending what it is if you talk about hardware and of course you need to have a kind of future view when I was last working with this at least 10 years forward because of course you want to know the generation after and then as you said also Victor I mean you look on the future you do of course pre-development of technologies as on the hardware side as well uh, and that you need to start early I mean even from the seeds when you hear okay this can be something that will happen in 10 years uh, and then you start to reflect so you kind of as, as you said Victor you need to have parallel development plans, maybe have the hands-on developments where you are and then of course you have this more kind of ideation development where you can then sit in and, and test and, and, and see what you can bring in and where is the right timing because I think the risk is also that sometimes you bring in things on, on, uh, on too early. I think today that risk is not that big but if you look like 10 years back there is some cases uh, on the consumer business where actually things were brought in which were great but it's just too early people were not there kind of mentally or, or the supporting technology or the user interfaces were not there so that is kind of yeah I would say 10 years you need to minimum and, and the question is I guess today as you said also like what do you know I mean can you realistically today say how, how things will be in 10 years that's that's yeah. probably a both tech, I, I think the technology development is the one that is is kind of of course all the companies and have kind of vision what it'll it'll be but as I said both of you sure. that you need the flexibility into that so 
Um, yeah. Okay, very nice. Victor, do you have any more input on that? Uh, no, I, I, I was like just listening to this very interesting discussion. And yeah, I, I see, for example, that it's it must be much more difficult to handle a 10 year 10 years roadmap compared to a small smaller time frame um i have for example in my case i always push to have like shorter time frames when it comes to roadmaps um but i mean we work with multiple products we work with multiple countries uh therefore for us it's key to have at least what what, what is it that we have in the portfolio for the next three years as a minimum um and that's something that we yeah we, we work with at, at the moment um but yeah at, at least when we are trying to when we are trying to do the planning for what is it that we're going to work with in the next three months because we usually work in quarters then we don't look much at the long-term plan but perhaps the mid-term and the short-term um but yeah I, I understand perhaps even the ways of working it could be a little bit different when you have an infrastructure uh product where most of the requirements perhaps are set from the beginning mm. uh, whereas in in software you can have uh, 10 requirements today and the next month they are 30 or even or it could be less five you don't need them anymore and uh, so things change quite quickly when it comes to software development but uh not as quick in in, in the world of infrastructure or physical products yeah. nicely said nicely said now maria has that sort of answered your question overall um yes i think i mean pick up some few things uh, regarding the parallel development is interesting to hear kind of your time frames when it's kind of pure software um, product development as well so yeah definitely some some ideas to take with uh, both I mean of course not on the product but even I think how we do any branding or marketing activities as well because I think that's the question I think your good examples where you you market the company or the brand quite a lot of course there is several products but that's kind of what it is known and maybe that's something that that we could use more as well rather than just uh, selling and marketing the products because then you get kind of you can drive the development and, and not be so related to to the specific kind of hardware that we have been uh, because I mean if I think about can you know, if I think I settle it's really kind of the brand and then all the good stuff there not rather than thinking it's this model of that <laughs> reader or or that yeah. service so sure. reflects mm. also on that side i think that's one of my insights okay very nice very nice sounds like it was quite a fun discussion there um what we'll do is we'll move on to the next person and next person we'll come to is Tillman. and um, now you come yeah. to a similar question um how do you influence the product strategy um but from the bottom line up perspective and also can small teams decide the global roadmap very interesting i'll let you take it away um yeah i think i was actually thinking about this question in that context of localization as well like i think having a bottom-up approach 
might work in the Nordics more than it would work in, let's say, China or the US. Bearing in mind, I haven't worked in those places, but I can imagine the way, from what my experience in, in Stockholm, and that you can sort of, because there's sort of like a flatter hierarchy, right? They do pride themselves in saying that there isn't really a super strong CEO boss that will tell everyone what to do, and that the small guys at the bottom can can raise their voice in meetings and, and change decisions. They can make they can help make decisions for the team and they can come up with cool ideas that completely are listened to. So it's a case of saying like, right now I'm in this weird transition, right? Where Zedong being a Swedish company was um, acquired by PayPal. So we have a merging of two countries as well, two work cultures. Um, it's very interesting to watch those cultures kind of clash. Um, and one thing that hasn't changed yet is things like bottom-up influence, right? I could sort of, in a meeting, bring up something that our team is keen to do because um, the engineer wants to really try something. We can say, uh, team's really interested in this. We'd really like to add this to the roadmap. Um, we really think it's important. However, I do think what might be changing soon with like this really strong PayPal influence is that we're not going to have that kind of influence anymore. You know, we're gonna we're gonna just be listeners, and we're gonna be and we're gonna be doers on what we see. But like, how do we? How do you keep like a bottom up like influence going? <coughs> um, if that makes sense, you know, like how do you how do you say like we know we believe and we know what's good for the product, and and we are gonna put this idea forward. Um, will the roadmap actually listen? This is the the company roadmap. I'm not just talking about mine. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's sort of it. Um, do you want to go first, Marie? Oh, you, if you have something on your mind. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it is a very interesting question. And I would say that, uh, at least from what I have seen, um, there are two levels, um, what do you call two, two levels where you can influence uh from a bottom-up approach the first one is uh, the global roadmap which i think it's uh part of the vision from even that, that comes even from the board about what markets are we going to expand where what kind of product we want to launch and i think that that's super super difficult to 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 influence uh in general but to influence the roadmap of a, of the product you're working with uh, I think that's more, um, yeah, you, you can achieve that easier depending on the culture of the company. Um, f I mean, I had to like to work with companies which are mature enough in terms of agility, in terms of like empowering the different teams mm. to to build their their roadmaps in terms of the product, provide their input, uh, challenge what it's been brought by product managers in terms of features and so on. Um, sometimes people used to think a lot, especially people who are uh, designing the product, they, they always think a lot on functionality, functionality, but they forget about what are the actual problems they want to solve, uh, which is something that, at least in my experience, many, many good developers have a good understanding of the of how to solve problems and mm. what yeah if something is 
if some features are suggested to be developed, uh, perhaps someone can can ask a little bit more into, okay, what is the problem you are trying to solve? And then 10 features can be reduced to two or one. Um, but going back to your question, I would say it's, it's just about the, the culture of the company. Like if, if the top management of the company, no matter if it's in South America or in Sweden or in, uh, the states, if if you have a good minds, if your mindset of the top management is to give empowerment to the teams to work in a truly agile ways, then I, I, I would say it's much easier to influence on, on that. Uh, but of course, I think there are very little companies who, who do that, mostly in the tech sector. But when it's non-tech, it's, I can tell it's, it's, it's sure much you... harder. <clears throat> I'm sure because you you're at a bank in Malmo, right? Yeah. And and it sounds like then you were completely know what I'm talking about in terms of like the Fed hierarchy and that like you could basically influence on any level. So you would probably have what we are looking for that kind of like bottom up approach and that bottom up influence at all times. Um, I think what what happens though is that just because i think it's this like it's this crazy amount of like merging going on um i think it's hard to catch up the culture you know where the culture that you had and that like that like non-hierarchical the hierarchical culture coming in merging it, it's hard to find the balance and i think um it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that pay, plays out and i think like everyone like i think when this happens to companies they should be really aware of like that it's like every day something is slightly shifting culture-wise and you've got to keep your tabs on that. You've got to keep your like tabs on like, okay, I'm noticing that like we, our influence is sort of changing and that we are kind of being listened to less as a small team. We need to get a meeting going as soon as possible to discuss like what we're doing and like mm -hmm. what we and how we can actually get that influence back. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of like self-awareness as well. Mm. Mm. Especially if they come from a culture where being a manager means somehow that you're supposed to be to be the one with the power of of, of doing yeah. things, and then you don't want to uh, to lose that. So you want to make sure mm -hmm. that actually people know. By the way, he's or she is the manager. Uh, so if the culture of the company that absorbs you is like that, then it's mm -hmm. gonna be super hard to change unless their top management change their mindset. You know what's also interesting is that sometimes the managers just sometimes just don't know. <laughs> And I think we should we shouldn't always assume that they have all the power and knowledge that you can actually come through with an incredibly informative idea and say we 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 believe that this idea is actually going to do incredible things. Have you considered it? Oh no, never knew it existed. Thanks for that. You know, I think we should never assume that it's like they fully have it all sorted out. <laughs> exactly, especially I think in that kind of situations, it's super important and and. Um, um, I don't have that many specific examples myself, but, uh, but I've been in collaborating from a kind of a, uh, let's say, the big company <laughs> perspective with the smaller companies, such as you could consider it your company in this case. And I think it's probably never very easy when those cultures clashes, and I think it's responsibility from both sides to find find the balance and find the methods and find the processes to work because at the end there has been really some important uh, reason why this mm. 
this uh, merge is done and there is a mm. value of course in the company but but the value is really with the people and how the work has been done and yeah. the all that you can wish is that the management in then with a current company then also take kind of care of that human value that you have like why did it sure. became so successful and so on and what i can say is that i have worked in in companies that are extremely centrally steered we have like product management point on top and then you have kind of driving really global product ranges and then kind mm. of very top down you could say that yeah. it's here the product but even those cases we always had processes going down even to the markets where you really went down yeah. to make sure to get it up the input but also in the companies where it's super decentralized that there is there wasn't any kind of central product management it was all sure. done in markets but then once again i think it what i learned from that also like if you have find the right people and if you find the right processes and just get people to meet then you actually can do those collaborations and find ways even it's different cultures and so but but i think it's a lot to the management to to build that culture and 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 allow the way to find the people to find a way to work and and create things so so i think uh, and most companies nowadays i mean if you don't manage that then then you lose the value so i really hope that uh, and i think most of companies do so yeah uh, and i and i think nowadays especially like that is really the how do you say the value you have in the company's minds of people there so if you don't sure. take care of it then yeah. yeah, so it comes down to culture is what I'm also yeah, understanding at the end of the day. Exactly, you know. I think. I think uh, which, yeah. is, which is just something that you can't necessarily influence, like as an individual team, you can't make the culture suddenly, and then it needs to be like a collective, like mind, like hive mind that we're going to build this culture here. We don't have it yet. Let's build it together or mm. um, are we losing it and we need to get it back, um, but it needs to somehow be a collective understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes I guess if the collective understanding isn't there, then uh, it's going to be a tough uphill battle. Mm. Yeah. But I think what you said before, like kind of starting downwards up, I mean, what we have done sometimes when we have had, have had this, that was just like, find your buddies. It could be in the other company or somewhere like there. There mm. is like minded people. And then maybe it's hard to do it by myself. But then we're like, okay, let's let's build this grassroots thing here and try to see if we get something something moving. So I think there is uh, some power in that. Always easy to say, of course, depending on the sure. situation. But... Oh yeah, very quick to say. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Nice. It's nice to hear. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Tom, Thanks. do you have any sort of closing thoughts there? No, I think that the closing thought I just had it um, that that culture can is um is really the, what the crux of this point is and yeah it, it it probably affects strategy and happiness and value and everything and so mm. like bottom up yeah. bottom up influence on the global strategy is actually down to that culture once again so yeah. it seems like some countries or some companies would just culturally probably never find it and that's sad but i think um mm. Some countries are well built to set that up and i think for example luckily in sweden we i mean for me super well built to set up a good culture like that 
Okay, fantastic, yes. fantastic. Um, so, Victor, we'll come to you, finally. Uh, now, Victor, <laughs> you came to me with a question saying, is it really realistic for a single product manager to work on commercial activities, uh, feature definition, UI, UX, collaboration, sync with dev teams, etc. Now, can you just elaborate a little bit further for me? Yeah, right. So, uh, I think we, we, we live in an, in an environment where you have very diverse organizations. Uh, some of them having single products, some of them having multiple products, multiple markets, some of them bigger, smaller startups. Um, so this can come with, with different flavors de depending on all these variables. Um, so I don't think there is, sometimes it feels that there is not a specific, specific profile of what a product manager should be able to do or not, uh, depending on these variables. Uh, so the question was around that, like from your from your experience, what do you think? Do you think uh, you have been in a situation where you were able or you had to take care of all these activities or have you been in a situation where you had to share this responsibility with others? Uh, and if so, how, how was that? Um, yeah, that, that's a little bit of the, the question. Super interesting question. And I, and I think this goes into many roles <laughs> nowadays. I think, but I think in, in comes a key in the product management role, and I um, think many of the areas that we mentioned as well. I think the role and the products, like all the products that we have, didn't many of them didn't exist in, let's say, 20 years ago, and especially on the digital side and software stuff. And the question is like, is the role of product manager? I think a little bit what you're looking for, maybe Victor is that to be redefined or is that the only kind of role that you should have because as you say it's a huge amount of touch points and details and numbers and and plans that if you have 10 roadmaps for different touch points and the full experience to look into that's probably not human even so i think my question to you guys would be like have you had thoughts around it like what is a product manager role actually now? And and is it is it maybe you should have like a project management team or is there a new role that should or new roles that should come out of this instead of to manage it? I don't have any answers, but I just feel with you that is is probably a not very easily manageable role nowadays. I uh, I would suggest. I, I, I would wonder who else would kind of run these kind of meetings that you're talking about, all these interactions. So with the UX and with dev and with feature development and commercial, like who else would take that on in the yeah. team that would be as well as fluent in the product? Yeah. Um, you might risk yourself diluting information or just having inefficient meetings if you go and divide these tasks. Mm. Um, but I do, I do believe that PM roles are changing over time and I think in five years time they will look very different. I, I can't say what that looks like but uh, in my mind I can't imagine someone taking on a part of this and someone taking on the second part and then it's still as efficient or still as as good but, but like potentially you're saying that's one person is too much for one person like it's it's, it's burnout you know it's 
it's uh, it's not efficient anyway because the person is just so overwhelmed. So maybe maybe it depends on the. I think it sounds like it depends on the product and the company culture. <laughs> Back to company culture. Um, it depends on how many products you're taking on. I mean, I've met people who like PMs who took on three products, for example, at once. So that's like three dev teams and three UX teams. And I mean, that's that's crazy. But if it if you're on one focus, I think it's I think it's manageable depending on the, mm. the company culture. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's something that is just you pointed out. It's it's changing and it might not look the same in, in five years from now. Um, and Mari, yeah, you also talked about it that it, it might be the case that it, depending on the kind of organization, it's uh, you, you might even need to create new roles, but also how to make sure that all these roles are connected to each other so that you don't get second-hand information uh, to, towards the development teams and so on. Um, I mean, from, from own experience at, at the moment, we work with uh, product managers which are more uh, working on the commercial side, talking with uh, our big clients such as IKEA, Prem, Audi, Scuda on, on different products that we are going to be uh, offering to, to them, defining how that those products would look like in a very high level overview. Uh, and then we have another kind of product managers which are more into the details, more like a product specialist, defining in a more detail the features, uh, coordinating with the different areas to make our products compliant uh, with UX and so on. So uh, yeah, it, it feels like it's been it's been split down into more than one person. Uh, but yeah, I, I wanted to get to know a little bit of how, how is how has that been on your own experiences? Just a question, do you have this kind of feeling at the moment at your in your role? Do you feel sort of feel spread super thin? Uh, yeah, I think of, yeah. Uh, I need to coordinate with uh, multiple people and make sure that we are, we are all aligned because each of us have different streams of information sources and we need to make sure that we are all aligned constantly otherwise there could be misunderstandings um but yeah it's, it's not very easy when, once the, the role is split hmm. yeah. maybe that's also like you say evolution and i think like as i said development and then you have the commercial side maybe that's kind of one natural thing but but also one thing i wanted to highlight and i think this goes for many roles but maybe especially for the product management that there is this huge need to um, learn new things because basically every new kind of area pops out um, let's say the whole kind of UI, UX, CX universe and that have it has always been there, but there is like different professionalism in that side for the past maybe 15 years. Of course, that set requirements to you guys as well as product manager is something you need to be able to discuss and have an opinion on and um, product design or, or whatever metaverse or <laughs> what is coming. So how do you cope with that? I mean, that's also a role, one of the besides of the product then we have uh, strategies on on that kind of building on the on the role and expectations you got me that so, one so 
you can go ahead, Tilen. Yeah, yeah, could you <laughs> could you expand a bit more, Marie? Yeah, just saying that there is so many more requirements, as he, as he both said, and coming in and new type of skills and areas. Uh, mm. How do you how do you make sure you stay on top? Like, because yeah, you need to have that skill set as well in some level to advise yeah. the different development teams. I, I do think it's having just like a growth mindset. I trying to constantly understand what the market's up to. I've done my best to check out conferences and you know find out how I can just just watch what's happening from um, PM world perspective. You know, there's a lot coming out. I mean, like there's so much to read every day. It's a bit overwhelming, in fact. Mm. And a lot of podcasts to listen to. So you've got to just pick the right moment and just try and at least spend at least once a day reading or listening to something that might be impactful to yourself. Um, I don't, but I don't think I could keep up with the amount that's changing. Mm. So you just got to do your, do your best um, yeah. within your with, like within your scope, and but I think make sure that you keep like have a growth mindset and mm. open to these open to these um, to the changing world as well. Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. It's a uh, it's very difficult for for one person to to focus on so many uh, different. Um, what do you call industries as well? What you mentioned, right? You could need the product manager sure. for a, for the metaverse, for a metaverse product, uh, for a blockchain product, for an artificial intelligence yeah. product, for a biology biology product, medical product. Um, so it wouldn't be that smooth if you transition from one industry to another as a product manager. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's not very easy. <laughs> yeah. I think I think for me, I mean, the idea of, of moving away from fintech. I've been in fintech now since like my first role, <laughs> so it's like can't, I can't imagine the idea of like moving away into like entertainment, like a product in the entertainment industry or like a product in sporting. That would be or gaming. That would be that would be such a, a shock to the system, but <laughs> exciting as well, you know. Yeah. Out there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Probably collect a lot of the. The knowledge as well as it go, and especially if you work in the same industry. So, there, yeah, but yeah, probably hard to change then as well as I say. And perhaps there is where it's more clear the need of splitting the role because you can have someone which is really good uh, at understanding a very high level in terms of products management, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of doing the commercial part, the offering part, deals with partners, and so on. But perhaps not too too much into the specific details of 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 the area. But then you need someone who is more um, knowledgeable, more like an expert on on that specific field. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a good point. But I have seen in the industry like you just get people who are just such an expert in understanding, like in my in my case, payments and SMBs, and just just knowing how the SMBs. Um, operate and the way they the way they function is just crazy to to me to see someone who's such an expert in this field. Something that I probably won't get to unless I spend like more time in the commercial space. But that's invaluable, right? And I don't think I can do that. So it depends. Are you, you going to be this jack of all trades now? So I'm, I'm or just like am I going to do all these things averagely? So I'm going to be a, a very average commercial like a researcher, like a very average UX. Um, this is like more collaborator UX designer. I'm not, I'm not really. I'm not going to be the designer, but I'm working in the design space with them. 
uh, super average understanding on development, you know. So I'm, I'm just across the board, just this this jack of all trades. Um, so that's an interesting sort of thought to say that like maybe you do need hyper specialists to mm -hmm. help pull the product. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess that's what that is, right? I guess that's what a what a whole like a whole product team is. You got a you got a mm -hmm. dev specialist, and you have and you have all these specialists that are building and actually do have a lot to say. And you as the PM just need to make sure that the machine runs. Yeah. But I guess back to your question, Victor, I mean, to, to say, is it realistic? Um, do you feel any different about the question? <laughs> um, from what I heard, I think that more and more I'm, I'm convinced that it might not be realistic to have uh, all those responsibilities on a single person. Mm. We should come back to this conversation in five years and see how yeah. PMs are behaving. I'll bring you a diary as soon as we finish, guys. Don't worry about it. Yeah, a little Slack reminder. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. So, Chris, please, in five years, you can call us again altogether. Oh, of course, I have no idea where I'll be, but um, I'll try and get well, like organized. We do it just for fun, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter where you are. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Now, Victor, did that sort of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, pretty much. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Well, we'll leave it there. And this has been another Evolution Exchange podcast. I'll take this moment to thank Marie, Victor, to learn. Thank you so much for, for coming through um, and enjoying the podcast and obviously sharing your, your thoughts and insights. Uh, thank you very much.